0: Sales Jacks and Jills, welcome to the Sales Jacks podcast. I am your co-host, Paul Greenberg, also known as the sales guy with a tie. Sad to admit, but I have been in sales, sales management or sales operations now for over 23 years. Every industry you can think of, specifically though, business equipment, dental, medical, and everything in between with a little bit of entrepreneurial mix in there as well. And I'm the pretty half of
1: this podcast, Kelly Meyer. I'm the sales dude with an attitude and I've been in sales for well over 25 years. I've sold everything from my body to health club memberships, beer, advertising, and now I sell Texas land. We put together sales jacks to discuss topics that
0: we think are important. Your job is to sell, sell, sell. Sales professionals touch every industry and it's our job to make sure that you are better in your careers. We don't want you just to be a sales professional living sale to sale, paycheck to paycheck. Our goal is to turn you into sales jacks and jills to help your career really take off. If you feel the show adds value to your life guys, Please consider liking, sharing, and giving it a rating in the podcast app. You obviously know how valuable referrals are. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. And most importantly, guys, thank you for selling. Let's go.
1: All right, Sales Jacks and Jills. I want to welcome you to the show and introduce you to my buddy, Paul. Paul Hello. Jack, the Paul sales guy, the guy who sells in a tie. Welcome, Paul.
0: Well, I try. Uh, thank you. I feel welcomed. Quite frankly, you always do make me feel that
1: way. So I'm excited to be here, man. I appreciate you sharing your expertise with us today. You're the only guy I know who can sell while still drinking Four loco, and I'm, I'm impressed. I'm happy.
0: I have drank Four loco once or twice, and I have sold since 1999. At that point, I'm dating myself. The good news is you've probably sold since 1996. So at least I'm,
1: I'm still younger than you. <laughs> By a little bit. So today we're going to address this age-old problem. How the fuck do you sell a broken product? And that takes a lot of forms, right? Like what, it, what is a broken product to you? To me, the broken
0: product is when you know that your offering is truly subpar to what else is out there in the marketplace. And you're going in knowing that you're already arguably outmanned, outgunned. But you still need to find a way to make steak out of hamburger meat, right? And obviously, there's good ways to get around it. And I think the great salespeople figure out how to go ahead and make that work for themselves. And I've seen it done a few times here and there.
1: Yeah, and I've seen guys that get frustrated because they're they're number two in the market, even though the company still does a hundred million dollars a year in sales. So, uh, you know, commission wise, what, what does that even matter, right? But I mean, there's egregious examples. There's you're selling a a, a car stereo that literally skips. And, and the Sony that we used to have was always like, you there was an outlet over here and they would just be returned all the time because they were just made like garbage. And so yeah, I mean, maybe there's a broken product there. and, and But at what, some point, what do you do? You still have to sell that. You still got to make that money, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I first got into sales and I would always complain because I'd walk into an office and somebody would tell me all the cool things they were hearing from these other companies. So the first thing I do is I go back to my sales manager and be like, wouldn't it be cool if we had you know, X, Y, and Z. And sure enough, my manager looks at me, and he's like, you know what the rule is, Paul? I said, what's that? And he's all, sell what you got. That's the reality. You don't sell for those other companies. You don't work for those other companies for whatever reason that is. So I think there is really the scenario where you do just have to sell what you got. Um, and, and there are ways to do that effectively and in a way that'll that will still meet the customer's requirements, right?
1: Yeah, we're taught to overcome the objection of the customer, but at some point we got to overcome, overcome our own objections just to get out of the bed and go do something, right? Obviously, there's a whole bunch of ways hold that up, people. Hold up. Let's pause. <laughs> Put a pin in that because I, you're bringing up a really a
0: really good point. I mean, you know, you know your product or service is already subpar, but don't give yourself objections that aren't there yet. You might walk in and. You might be the best product or service they've ever seen. Now, you know it's not because you know what else is out there on the marketplace, but you might be better than what's already been in front of them, which makes you much better than, than their past experiences. So I think you bring up a good point before we even get into how to sell the broken product is don't beat yourself and don't give yourself
1: objections before they're even put in front of you, right? A lot of people do that always prejudge yourself the winner and the executioner at the same time, right? So there's a bunch of people that handle it wrong, right? Like, uh, what about like the guy, we've all seen it and they've got what they consider a broken product and they just fucking lie. What about that guy?
0: It's short-lived and here's my PSA for anybody who sells either services or consumables. If you are going to go down the lie route, you will find that account is going to only be with you for a very short time, maybe two months at best. Because at that point, they're just going to get to it and they're going to see it. So like everything in life, honesty still is the uh, the best policy when it
1: comes to that. Yeah, there's no longevity in that. And you see it all the time. And it, it, sometimes it sucks because you'll see that guy or girl just out there killing it, doing sales and, and making money. But at some point in time, they're going to pay for it. You can't lie forever.
0: When you get the burnout factor, too, because I, I mean, I think everybody who's listening to this, including myself and you who are talking about it. Have been in this long enough that it's just the amount of work put into getting new customers is so exhausting. And it's what we do and what we get paid on. But imagine if you could have customers that you just continue adding to your book. And, and obviously you do that by, by not lying.
1: Yeah. What about the guy that uh, just ignores it, right? Which is sort of a lie by omission, same sort of thing. But have you seen that where it just, instead of addressing the objection, you almost just sort of talk a different direction, bring something up and hope the, the prospect forgets. And, and sometimes they do, it works.
0: You know, yeah, but I, I think I would, I would say this, cause when I look at the overarching way to combat selling a broken product or service is that it really comes down to putting more focus and heat and light on the things that you are doing well, right? You can have a broken product that still shines in some areas, right? If not, then you're the El Cheapo brand and you probably are cheaper and people will probably buy you just on price. But what do you do when you do have still some good stuff that can be offered, right? You're right, maybe not ignoring it, but I'm gonna say, no, I get that, I understand that. But how about X, Y, and Z? And that probably leads you to your next thing that you're gonna talk about.
1: (laughs) Well, the other guy you see is, is the one that sort of spins it, right? And is, oh, it's not even a big deal, don't worry about that. And just ignores the fact that it's there when the consumer is obviously concerned about it or the, the prospect is maybe not gonna buy and instead of addressing the objection, you just try to blow it off. So
0: sales 101, right? I think when we're talking about how to overcome that, I think one of the most critical things, most critical is really understanding what those needs are and the needs behind the needs. So for instance, it's critical that we have somebody pick up our packages twice a day we've had that from our previous vendors and it's critical that that continue right now you know that your company only offers pickups once a day right so let's get under that well mr kyle why do you need something pick up twice a day well we have a lot of shipments throughout the day okay well, which one is the busier one right <laughs> what are we talking about here we ship out 10 things a day eight are done in the morning two are done in the afternoon okay So 80% of your shipments are gonna go out in the morning. What if we took care of that and we monitor to see how that was still meeting your needs? Maybe you'll find that we can still be able to do this with just one pickup and it'll still be a good value for you guys, right? So again, how do you focus and bring out to light the need behind that need to be able to ease them and make them comfortable with what you're doing? I don't think you're dismissing what's important to them but i think you're showing them that there are other ways to get to, to where they're trying to get to that maybe look different than what they were doing before
1: yeah obviously the education side right so if, if your prospect comes to you with one version of reality and that version of reality is the only reality in which they were willing to purchase you've got a couple choices you can run screaming to the hills like a little girl or you can find a way to make sure that they understand the value behind it right and that's it takes time it takes patience it takes professionalism and that's why you wear a tie and i don't, I don't know i'm not sure i'm as good as that
0: <laughs> eh, I mean, you look good in the time, but, but now here's the thing, though, too. I think it's also skill set. Do you think you're just going to move on to the next prospect and figure out a way to, to sell to somebody else? I would tell you that my last few roles and industries that I've worked in are markets that are arguably shrinking. And I don't think most people are in growing markets, right? So that makes every opportunity that much more important. And I would tell you that unless your product is beyond defunct i mean nobody wants it right there's no silver lining at all i think there's a way to marry up people's needs and wants with whatever you're offering and it just and it does take patience and it takes a skill set and good salesmanship
1: so elephant in the room guys listening at home of course somebody's gonna have this comment so why don't you go to your company and tell them to pick up twice a day
0: because well like you gotta love that one right the answer that I've been given enough times when it's been things like that, and even similarities to that, is we don't have the bandwidth, or we have to get a full new route within our courier system or our drivers, and now that's going to cost us X amount more, and this prospect isn't going to generate enough revenue to just buy it. You know, I think as salespeople, let's be real, we don't care or remember that there's a P&L behind something, right? That's what the operations people are looking at. So sure, we could have a better widget. We could have a a bigger widget. We could have a faster widget. We could have a, we could have, you know what? We could have three courier stops a day. Really what it comes down to is, is you'll always get pushback from operations. I like to call anybody who's not in the sales department, the sales prevention department. I think every organization has one of those. It's usually large and well-funded, but I think what it comes down to is, again, figuring out what the importance of it, how is it going to affect that person's business or office if you can only do that one pickup per day, right, instead of the two. I, I laugh because in sales management, you always have these reps that the only way they can succeed is by offering people whatever they want. You know, you show up to an office and they, they want two stops a day, They're, they want the cheapest pricing on their per package pickup, and they want to make sure that the, uh, the courier driver is six feet tall and very good looking, right? And that representative literally will come back and be like, I'll get that squared away for you. And then now they're talking to their sales manager saying, here's all the things that I need in order to get the deal done. And you know you can't get that stuff done. And then when you tell them, no, we can't do that, they're like, well, then we can't get the business. In the reality, that's not a salesperson, right? That's just somebody who's, who's taking notes and trying to go ahead and deliver on everything. When we're really selling, True sales is not being able to say yes to everything. If you can say yes to everything, you could pay a, an eighth grader to do that. That, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be worth whatever you want to get paid. Now,
1: so, I used to tell people yeah, in, the, I, in the gym business, like, if I just wanted a kiosk to take people's money and hand them a new membership card, I sure as hell would make my job easier. I don't need to deal with you, your personal problems, and your girlfriend coming in here, and you be getting sick. At the end of the day, I want yeah. people here because, one, you have the ability to overcome the objection in a unique and interesting way. But also like we want that personal touch we want you to handshake that person and that it can't happen if you're shrinking away from anything that isn't perfect right the job the salesperson starts when the consumer says no
0: yeah the selling starts when the customer says no i mean that, that that's an adage that i remember hearing even 20 years ago i don't remember ever getting involved in a sales opportunity where there wasn't some type of rub and i and i will tell you the opposite to having a broken product is having the best product that just costs way too much. And now you're in a scenario where there's nothing you can go ahead and do, right? Like yeah, this is the price point. Yeah, we're the most expensive, but nobody ever got fired for uh, for buying IBM or Xerox, right? And what you find is that those value propositions aren't as uh, saleable as they used to be either. So. Yeah,
1: I think it's a different set of problems. Well, on that note, I'm going to go grab a Red Bull and I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll come back. Let's see what else we can come up with. Hey, sales Jacks and Jills, are you still using Post it notes and spreadsheets to manage your leads and tasks and incoming and outgoing calls? Well, you need to get a customer relationship management software. And if Salesforce was paying me, I'd tell you to use them, but they're not, so I didn't. Hey Sales Jackson, Jills, I'd like to informally give you a formal invite to check out my first podcast, How Not to Start a Damn Brewery. After a decade of pain and suffering, I wrote a book and started this podcast to be the lone voice of reality in an industry pretending it's packed with unicorns and rainbows. I autopsy dead and dying breweries and talk to anyone inside and outside the industry that I think can shed a little light on how not to start a damn brewery. No matter what industry you're in, you'll learn something valuable. You'll hear dramatic stories of struggle and loss, and get to hear me on a little worse behavior than I am on sales jacks. So listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts like this one, and I'll hopefully see you soon. All right, thanks for sticking with us. I definitely have my wings, and I'm excited about finishing this thing up with Mr. Paul Greenberg. Paul, Finish. I got a question for you, man. I, go, I want you to give me a real-world example of an opportunity when you had to go into somewhere, you knew you had a substandard product, or you were pitching from the back, you you're the third guy in the deal team. You know that your bid's not going to make it. How how do you overcome that? How did you do it? And how did it work for you? And uh, you don't have to tell us how much money you made. We all know that you're the most successful salesperson I know. But uh, you did well.
0: Since 1999, yeah. For, I mean, it's been <laughs> very successful forever. You want one or do you want two, Kelly? I, I you know I, I feel I feel compelled to give you one from the old gym business. And then a professional one in healthcare. So which give, one do you want? You, you, want. Gi-
1: you give me one and I'll see if you earn giving me two. Well, this is precious okay. airtime. I can't just have you filling it with garbage, dude. You got to make do it right. No, I'm with you. I'm,
0: and I'm sorry. And I, and I want to apologize to the listeners, too, with this <laughs> precious garbage itself. Let's call it precious garbage. OK, um, look, yeah, you're French. So I had this scenario where I walked into a healthcare office. I worked for a lab and the way that you report lab tests, depending on where they're run in the laboratory can be on separate reports, right? So a doctor would order a multitude of tests and we had a scenario where we would have to go ahead and give them their results in two different reports. Right now, most doctors are interested in having it all on one report. And the reason why they want it on one report is because they want their medical assistant to be able to look at one report, call back the patient, give them everything that was on there in one fell swoop, and then be able to be done with it, file it away and move on to the next task or next patient, right? So we knew that the lab that they were using, they would go ahead and put everything on one report. And obviously I just described to you the reason why the doctor likes having everything on one report. (laughs) But I knew that the lab that I was working for put it on two different reports. So I could do one of two things. Hey doctor, sounds like we're not a good fit for you. Sorry about that. Like, you know, I guess it's really that important to you that you go ahead and have everything on one report, right? Or I could try and figure out a way to show them the benefits of having it on two separate reports. Now, here's the beauty of what we were doing with our company. When we result out our tests, we do it real time. So when I'm sending you two reports, I'm sending you one because it is completed and done within a day, okay? And that's valuable information, doctor, that you can give to your patient immediately, right? And then a day or two later, the other results will come out. So what I told the doctor was, wouldn't it be nice, doctor such and such, if you could actually get some of the results out more quickly to your patients, and treat them more quickly and faster. They're also gonna be less anxious knowing that they know what's going on in their body or with their health more quickly. And you can let them know, hey, these are partial results. We're gonna have more results coming by, but we wanted to do a good service to you, Mr. and Mrs. Patient, and give you a result as soon as possible. The doctor had never thought about it like that. They never actually realized that the reason why we, were, why we could segment their results is because we had some of them available more quickly. And I told that doctor, I said, you realize when you get one report with everything on it, that they're essentially holding on to maybe nine test results and they're waiting for that 10th one to go ahead and release all of them to you. So you could have already done something for your patient, moved it along. And that's when they said, you know what, that makes sense. Like I can see how that's a value and how it's gonna bring better patient care to our client base. And they went ahead and moved forward with us. Never heard a peep out of them. It wasn't a big problem at all. This was the one sticking point that they had, that everything needed to be on one. All I did was show them that there was some benefits to having them separated, right? And having them segmented. So that's one example of selling something that is perceived broken,
1: but in reality I was able to show them how it wasn't. But a weaker salesperson would have seen that as an opportunity to not take the sale, right? To kick that person back on the lead list, put them back as a prospect, maybe even a subscriber and not even follow up.
0: Earlier on in my laboratory career, and I'm embarrassed to say this, and I hope that none of my laboratory sales counterparts are hearing this, I did walk away from opportunities like that. I was like, no, nah, I get it. I could see why you'd want to make one phone call. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to do any extra work either and have to manage that too. See you later, doctor. If that ever changes, we'll let you know. So, yeah, I mean, I think early in my career, I walked away from it because I was hitting the easy button. And I think that that's what this comes down to every single time. Are you the rep that's going to hit the easy button or are you actually going to earn your your check? I think there's so much growth professionally and personally when you're not just doing that,
1: right? Yeah. Well, and and obviously the, the point of the show is teach people to be better salespeople, but I think that makes you a better person too. Like at that, that point it's overcoming the unfortunate things that happen in life. And same, same idea of looking at whatever happens on Sunday or however your kid behaves in the same way. Like there's always a solution and the best of us find a way around it. You know,
0: the way you describe that is, I mean, it's accurate, but it's also poetic to an extent and you're not really a poetic guy. Um, (laughs) but Um, I would say that when I think about that, you're right. Like, are you somebody professionally or personally that tends to run when things aren't lined up perfectly, or are you going to persevere and try to muscle your way through something? There's always a way. And I truly believe that when people, and most people are reasonable, when there are reasonable people, salespeople and customers, you're always going to figure out a way to get it done. And by the way, don't forget about yourself. I mean, the listener too, right? You're selling yourself to an extent. So you are a part of the success or failure of that sale. And you got to own that too as a
1: professional. Absolutely. So what's funny is I have this example of a a broken product that I was selling uh, recently. And so uh, you guys will be interested to hear that after all this time, I have now started selling real estate, which has traditionally been an industry that I've said does not sell at all throughout my whole life. And now that I'm doing it, I can unequivocally say, they do not sell at all it's it's been fantastic and it's for me it's been great because it's one of those industries now that there's not a ton of competition as far as the just you know i can outwork and out hustle people uh, versus some of the other industries i've been in it was harder to do that but anyways point being so we we had these we have a bunch of different tractors in the same development and one of them had leftover stuff from uh, an actual oil lease and it was this humongous Crappy just like beat up truck flat tires probably didn't run had to have been there for at least 10 years looked like crap Right, but it's humongous and and it was in the way And so when you were coming home, you're gonna go past this truck next to a trailer full of a bunch of oil field stuff As well passing a pump jack that was like meant to pump oil and go to your house And that tract was the same price as all the other tracks And I was like, there's no way I mean who would who would go drive home on all stuff on the way home that's such a hard sale and obviously you still try to present it or whatever but knowing full well that no one's ever my, my wife would never drive past this blue rusted out truck on the way home i literally got to where i was going to send an email to the the owner and i was going to explain to him hey i think we can move this track we're getting down to the point it's one of the last ones um, i feel like we need to do something to make it a little more attractive i don't love discounting the price but maybe there's that kind of price to value issue that we're gonna look at Maybe we can find a way to contact the state and get these things taken off so that I can have it unencumbered. I'm not making this shit up. I didn't have time to do it that night. The very next day, I got a full price cash offer on that lot.
0: But let me guess, it's it's some and it was probably like some connoisseur of, you know, old oil memorabilia and rigs. And it might have been the perfect thing to them, potentially. I think when we talk about broken products, and I really think we need to actually like get a little more specific about this, Kelly, because I think a broken product is a perception. Like, like I said, given this, and obviously, you know, both you and I are a little bit older, but if you've always dated fours in your life, and then all of a sudden a six comes around, as far as you're concerned, that's a 10. And I think that it's really the, the same similarity. If I've eaten ground beef my whole life, and then someone gives me a chuck roast, as far as I'm concerned, that's my filet mignon, man. And I think you can have that same opportunity with your sales ventures as well.
1: Yeah. One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? So uh, someone's always out there buying all kinds of things. And like, like I did the other day, like Pepsi's been number two forever, but they still make millions upon millions of dollars every year. So who gives a crap that they're number two? Like they're technically the broken product next to Coke, right? But they're not. Like it's great.
0: Well, now what you're describing is something that we're going to have to save for another session, but it's complimentary sales, right? So the product's not broken, the service isn't broken, but it's maybe not exactly what someone's looking for. How how can you position yourself as a complementary product or service that's going to fit still with what that buyer wants and what they need, but not in the way maybe that you guys thought you were going to sell it and maybe not in the way that the consumer envisioned that they were going to purchase it, right? So we'll we'll shelve that topic. And that one's free for anybody listening, by the way.
1: That was a freebie. So in other words, what I I hear you saying is that there is no such thing as a broken product because every product's broken in a way and every product's perfect in a way. But there is such a thing as a broken salesperson.
0: Yeah. I mean, you eloquently put it better than I ever could have. Even through this discussion, which I love because there's growth even through that. Think about what you just described. If I'm selling something and everything's great about it, but the price is super, super high, almost unsalably high, then it's a broken
1: product because the price is broken. Right. right. Still going to be a problem. And, right.
0: Now, if it's the cheapest, but nothing works on it, what's broken on that now? The price isn't broken. The price is right. But, but the features are broken. So, yeah, look. And the other thing, too, and God, I'm getting on a tangent. We're going to have to sell this one as well. But I think also prospect targeting. I mean, you know, what the heck you're selling, like who is the right person for it, right? And there is targets and there are marketplaces where you are better off going to a certain spot or a certain way to go ahead and attract those consumers or those buyers. Again, freebie. You're welcome, everyone. Boy,
1: they just, the hits just keep coming with Paul Greenberg. All right. hit right after hit. So on that note, let's wrap it up. We got to save some in the tank for later. Until next time, just remember there's always a broken product. don't be a broken salesperson right your job as a sales jack is to be the repairman fix it make it work sell it to people make some money get out there and kick some ass for all of us anything else to add paul greenberg
0: no look i think again old adage sell what you got and i think the other thing is to get out of your comfort zone if you're somebody that you know runs from high obstacle sales opportunities Focus on trying to overcome those obstacles. I mean, if you want to continue to have a career in sales or you want to improve your career in sales. So uh, with that, we leave you in a better spot than hopefully you were when you started
1: listening. Peace. Until next time. I want to thank you guys for sticking around. Both Paul and I truly hope that at least some part of what we discussed today will see deep into your career. Always remember that we never claim to know everything, so of course your mileage will likely vary. But what we know, we've learned by experience in the field. We've cried and bled for these insights, and we know that they can lead you to a fundamental understanding of the sales process and a more complete sales career with, hopefully, a more complete life. At the moment, we are not available for consulting, speaking engagements, or sales training, although we are definitely considering it. Now, bachelor parties on the other hand, but if you have a comment, criticism, or suggestion, we truly want to hear it, please send an email to Paul at whatever email he decides to add, or Kelly at freeplaykelly at gmail.com. Happy selling, sales jacks and jills. See you next episode. FreePlay
0: Media.